I'm sick of it. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. Of what? Health. Health. I'm sick of health. Sick of health. Hi. Welcome to Sick of Health, or should I say Sick of Isolation, the, uh, the, the, mini se- the coronavirus mini-series. Um, we are joined as usual by Dr. David Wright. Hello. And Rob Littlewood. Everyone. Um, so I think, classic uh, poor production timelines from myself, I think the, the first episode has literally just been released. So I don't think there will be any opportunity for correspondence. <laughs> because um, no one's had the chance to react to that episode yet. Is that right, David? Nothing's come through? No, nothing through on the email yet. <laughs> okay. So, so no. we'll, I think we'll, we've got a fair bit to discuss. So if it's right with you chaps, we'll dive straight in. So just as a reminder where we left it, last episode we just talked about origins and then had a nice in-depth look at kind of the biology behind the virus and what makes it so potent and different to SARS and previous viruses and then this week essentially we're going to focus more on what the world is doing to combat the virus in terms of treatments that's right isn't it, David yeah 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 it's all going crazy in the scientific world lots and lots of activity to try and get this sorted exactly right, yeah down, go on Robert what'd you say all right calm down mate no it it is actually it is actually nuts in terms of the worldwide response scientifically obviously politically each country's doing their doing their different things and fighting it in different ways but in terms of scientifically and looking at a cure it's been a a historic response kind of a response we've never seen before so a cool quote actually that said um political while political leaders have locked their borders scientists have been shattering theirs mm, it's all, beautiful it, it is it is some uh, kind of i guess if you're pulling positives out of it the kind of secrecy and, and competition between scientists has dissolved and it's these mad collaborations and and kind of huge the sharing of data is one of the key things i think um scientific papers so normally scientific papers kind of they have to go through a peer review process and then they're processed in journals. People have been scrapping that and posting their papers on those various websites. You can post them kind of pre-release, right, David? And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's like at the moment there's like 25 to 30 papers a day coming out on these websites just on coronavirus, which is insane. And then um, a great example of that as well as the um, the Chinese. Um, they I think it was January. They they sequenced the virus that we talked about last week right and they shared that straight away with the global community so based on that genomic sequence everyone labs around the world could start looking at it and devising ways to tackle it which is pretty cool and i guess that's on a smaller more local scale but then you've also had these huge big money collaborations um which i'm sure you've heard about a few of them they're kind of they're often kind of led by these non-for-profit organizations. Um, so CEPI and BARDA are two of the biggest ones. I won't tell you what the acronyms mean because it's not important. Um, but they're non-for-profits and they're big, big, bringing together kind of big funding organizations or, or in a lot of cases, pharmaceutical organizations um, and putting a lot of money behind promising treatments and things like that. And I think 
David, was it you said there's over 200 clinical trials now already underway? Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Yeah, there's just so much work going on in parallel. And I think one of the, the probably one of the biggest examples that I thought was pretty cool is one the World Health Organization is doing called Solidarity, which is basically looking at four of the most promising ones. And it's basically set up a website so that any hospital, anyone working in a hospital all over the world, if they've got a, a patient in severe condition, they can pop their details into this website. The website will kind of randomize them to one of the treatments and then they're enrolled in this trial, which I've never heard of anything like that before. It's pretty nuts. No, yeah, it's cool. And it's all looking at old drugs, these. So it's kind of an old HIV drug, well, combination to old HIV drugs and old malaria drugs. So it's, yeah, this kind of new big trial is just seeing what we've got already, which tools might be of use. Exactly, yeah, there's an Ebola one chucked in there as well, isn't there? That's crazy that they've managed to turn this stuff in such a short space of time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. It's nuts that the kind of normal scientific timelines have been, I don't want to say thrown out the window, but rules being bent slightly to expedite everything. And the data sharing is a massive, massive part of that. Um, so it is honestly, from having seen the, the kind of frustrations with how slow things can seem, obviously it's always safety is at the forefront how slow they can seem it is pretty cool to see it see the um collaboration and how quick things are moving um and i think we're well aware of in terms of treatments the number one thing everyone is talking about um which is obviously a vaccine so david do you want to quickly give us a refresh vaccine wise yeah yeah sure so Everyone should already know what a vaccine is after listening to our previous episode on immunotherapy. Oh, yeah. But in case you listened to that a little while ago, uh, so vaccine basically is showing a part of the virus to the immune system. So our immune system can produce antibodies against that virus. And those antibodies um, uh, are memorized in a way, and they can be recalled by the body very quickly when they encounter the real virus they can stop it before it takes a hold and i think we've done so we don't when we're just thinking of the episodes we did one immunotherapy one where we talked about kind of the body's response and then we also did an anti-vaxxers one didn't we yeah um, yeah where we looked at vaccine the importance of vaccines um which is again coming to surface but we won't go into that now because that is a whole other argument um but yeah so i think in terms of this vaccine the interesting thing is the um as we, we were talking about kind of the head start the world got because uh, those scientists shared the genomic sequence. But there's also, in terms of the vaccine especially, the scientific world got a head start because looking at that sequence, they were able to see that kind of, it's very similar, we talked about this last week, but it's very similar to the coronaviruses we've seen affect humans before, so SARS and MERS. And that means there's opportunity to repurpose research that we previously did for them yeah exactly so yeah as we said before SARS and MERS also types of coronaviruses those uh, pandemics weren't anywhere near as severe as this one um, so drug discovery process started whilst they were happening and uh, the disease kind of got contained before any vaccines made it to the market so a lot of the plans and projects then got shelved before they're ever finished but as it's so similar, so uh, we were looking up and four out of the five key proteins from SARS and MERS are highly conserved on COVID-19, uh, SARS-CoV-2. 
And so because of that, we can kind of pick up where we left off with the other vaccine development programs and just repurpose them for, for COVID-19. Everything making sense so far, Robbo? Yeah, yeah, it is, sure. Because I think, because it's definitely some of the, the candidates that we saw come come to the news super quick with these ones that they've already, as David said, they never, because it's, it's interesting because with those SARS and MERS, they obviously kind of fizzled out before we had time to get the vaccine through um, yeah. the clinical trials. So um, was herd immunity achieved before the vaccine was made public? Herd immunity wasn't achieved in those, I think, because um, they only ended up killing, I think, in the hundreds, maybe low eight, thousands. 800 for SARS. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, so as there were much more serious uh, diseases, then they're easier to kind of track everyone that's had it and trace them and confine them. So herd immunity wasn't achieved, but they just managed to contain the whole virus. So it didn't spread. Right. Got it. Okay. So yeah, so those kind of compounds that we, that didn't go through the whole clinical trial process, but are already in existence, they can, they're kind of, we've got a head start with them, which is, which is super. But then there's also some, novel kind of vaccine options isn't there david which are pretty interesting yeah yeah some new technologies are coming out um mrna vaccines which uh use whole new technology nothing's on the market so far using this technology and it's using so you create um you sequence the mrna for the specific part of the virus which you want to generate immune response against and as you're not using whole viruses then, uh, or live attenuated, they're called, so either kind of parts of whole ones or uh, um, ones that have been weakened, then they can be a little bit more safe and potentially they can be more potent too because you can, you're doing it specifically to this one part of the virus which will generate a good immune response. So, yeah, it's these really new exciting technologies coming, but just nothing's been um, made before using it. So it's kind of all a bit new and takes a little bit longer to develop in the first instance. Yeah, I guess that's I've, the... Go on, Rob. I've got on, a question there. Um, so I've heard, obviously, like in California, they've gone pretty much straight to human trials. I read this article that said that that's largely unheard of and it kind of shows the urgency of the situation. Um, have, have human trials like never been used before? Um, you know... Yeah, so human a new thing completely. No, human trials are used in every single drug development. So you need to but like as a first, like they've gone straight to it. Uh, right. Um, no, you all you normally always have to do animal testing, and I would be surprised if they haven't done any animal testing. In it's, that. Prob They're... it's probably one of these compounds that got to a certain stage before, and or was used for a different purpose before. Right because mm -hmm. that's yeah. another big chunk of it isn't it drugs that have gone and this isn't the vaccines this is the kind of looking at other treatments which we'll get into but where a drug will be used for a completely different disease and then they'll but because of there's, there's certain similarities in the mechanism of action they'll they'll look at whether it could be used in this disease right like the hiv and the ebola drugs we mentioned before the world health organization were doing that trial on yes 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 exactly go straight into a different indication or use for the drug but yeah, you wouldn't go from an unknown vaccine straight to humans because it would just be a bit too risky. So they might have done yeah. some work on it before. And obviously, it's kind of 
because I guess, especially with the novel ones you're talking about, David, and when we're thinking about timelines, you're obviously saying that there's obviously benefits to those options, which is why we're trying them, but is it going to take longer to come to market? And especially for me, when you think about it, especially for a vaccine that you're looking at administering to the whole world, essentially. And we, if, if something goes wrong, which there's been, there's been history of that with vaccines in the past, which is where some of the anti-vaxxer stuff comes from. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if, if something does go wrong and it's, you're administering something on that global scale, you're going to cause more damage than the virus would cause. So it's, it's, it's a real tricky balance for the kind of scientific world to find. And obviously there's a lot of pressure from everyone else who we talked about this before, not completely understanding why everything takes so long and all the processes that they need to go through. The external pressures are huge. So it's, it's a tricky situation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The normal drug development process takes at least a decade or longer, which is just not acceptable when you've got a pandemic like this. So yeah, they're trying to bring that down to 18 months, which would be the fastest drug development process ever. So it's it's incredibly ambitious. And that's only going to happen, really, if there's no hiccups at all in this process and all the trials go well, which is very ambitious and quite unlikely. That's why they're doing so many different clinical trials at once in the hope that you normally do them, stagger them in time because you don't have the money to do it all at once. So yeah, it's, it's very ambitious. And that's one of the problems you have if you're starting one of these new technologies is that you've got to do all those extra safety and efficacy checks that you might not have to do quite to the same degree if you're repurposing or using something that we know a bit more about. And then, of course, if you look at like we talked about with SARS and it happened with Ebola as well, um, especially when you're thinking of financial incentive if if the virus and i mean let's hope it does it'll be a positive if the virus fizzles out before we get to that 18 month mark um will all that have been in vain we've yeah. seen maybe not in vain because in terms of fighting a future one which as we talked about last week if wetland markets exist then it's kind of a formality but it's uh it, part of part of obviously that a lot of the financing is everyone's invested in it right now but as soon as it dies away that financial incentive for pharma companies especially disappears and then it's like the, the ebola one i think only carried on being researched uh, because uh, the canadian government was making it happen um as, yeah. as soon as the financial incentive goes away pharma companies drop off as well otherwise they lose huge amounts of money there have um there have been some funny myths going around about the farm companies I've noticed this week. Go on, so, go on. Uh, I mean, aside from farm companies, my favourite myth, no doubt, has to be the 5G spreading of uh, coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which um, almost, uh, almost takes the cake on the actual corona beer one. Um, <laughs> so so uh, I believe in uh, one of those uh, circulations has been doing the rounds saying that... Um, Big Pharma actually already has the cure and they're just withholding it. The classic. Uh, the classic. Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, that's an interesting one, um, mm. which uh, I find hard to believe. Yeah. About you guys. I mean, we've seen it. It's been one with cancer. That rumor has been going around for a while, hasn't it? I think with HIV, it went around as well. Um, yeah. 
Nah, yeah, well, I mean, the fact that all the pharmaceutical companies, they're not one big entity, they're in competition with each other. It would make no sense if you were the best one, you would solve the problem to hold it back. And it's, yeah, it would make a lot yeah. more sense to release it and get all the goodwill that everything came that comes from it and money. Because mm-hmm. it's also, um, in terms of the, uh, the timelines, and this is where the pharma comes in again, that what David's talking about, them working together. In terms of the timelines, we've obviously talked about on the scientific research side of it, trying to condense it. The other thing, the issue that um, government and pharma have been trying to tackle, obviously, is the logistics side of things. So if a vaccine is proved to work, is proved to be safe, how are we going to produce that on this worldwide scale? Um, and again, it's actually a nice example of pharma coming together for once because I think, so I think Bill Gates kind of, he's put in, I know that's not an example of pharma, but Bill Gates has pledged uh, billions of pounds to kind of build factories to develop the seven most promising candidates. And then I know the, and I think this is unprecedented. I don't think this has happened before. I could be wrong, but the, um, executives from the five biggest pharmaceutical companies have been having like teleconferences to discuss how they can work together to um, make sure the supply chain for a virus, uh, sorry, not a virus, a vaccine um, is possible worldwide. Um, so I think unless uh, Rob, you got any other kind of questions vaccine wise? Well, are... My only question really is like, have there been any substantial developments? Um, in that one since i mean we didn't speak about it too much last week but what are the what are the you know the key points that provide optimism for i think not just the scientific world but for the world in general based on on the research that we have to date so far i think what you guys said about the head start is is probably a big one but but Mm -hmm. what else is there i guess the main thing is that no at no other point is so many different people been working on one problem at one time so we've got lots and lots of different ideas for vaccines going ahead all exactly at the same time across different institutions and companies and they're doing it faster than anyone's ever done in history but even so that still means that it's going to be at least maybe the end of this month april before we start seeing first in human well we've just seen the first one i think this in the last week trials in humans just to test their safety and then they'll be testing efficacy so whether it actually prevents uh, Mm. the virus spreading by this summer late summer maybe and then you're probably not going to be looking at things coming into for about another year after that so yeah i mean there's it's optimistic in that nothing's ever happened so fast in the history of drug development but also this isn't something where we're going to get major changes on a week by week basis. Yeah. Really. Makes your job quite hard. I think considering we only recorded a week ago. <laughs> so somehow um, we have failed to mention the fact that the prime minister is in intensive care. Um, <laughs> yeah. On that one, just as a um, kind of a hypothetical scenario, you know, no vaccine exists. There's, there's no cure. Obviously, um, a large number of people can can ride it out and and come through it but do we have any idea what that kind of intensive care looks like you know we hear a lot of talk about ventilators but how are we kind of sustaining or maintaining people um i suppose 
the stage before what would ideally be vaccination. How does that how does that look like at the moment? Mm, that's a good link because it can link into the um, the other treatments that, uh, for people with the disease. But quickly before I let David jump in on that, it's uh, when we're talking about collaborations, it's also wicked to see the other sorts of collaborations going on. So for the for in terms of the ventilators, I know um, the McLaren factory close to where I yeah. used to live in Woking. They've been creating, it's not ventilators actually, is it ventilators? It's like portable ventilators. So that's really cool. And the F1 industry as a whole seems to be doing loads, which is really cool. Um, I didn't didn't realise that it was something that was required by them so much. I know, yeah. I think they're just, they are unbelievable engineers because they are, the stuff they do with cars is insane. So they're just the most innovative people Mm. going. Um, And then the other one I was thinking of was, when you talk about intensive care, the um, the what they've done with the XL Centre in London. Have you seen pictures mm-hmm. of that? Nine days. That is incredible. Yeah. Nine days, and they've set up this. I can't remember how many people can. They it's can supposed to have three and a half thousand at the moment. They've got space for I think it's less than a thousand, but they're obviously working to expand it. They're in nine days, know, step by step, I guess. Yeah, and that's obviously government, Crazy. army, volunteers. It's that one I found really cool, the pictures of that. Um, so yeah, it, it, outside of the scientific community as well, it is nice to see the world, communities, countries coming together to achieve stuff. Cause... Definitely. And and I think, again, sorry to hold you up, David, on, on your answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's really anecdotal. Um, I was saying to someone the other day, and I'm sure the two of you, especially Joe, will um, sympathise with this. Like I've never seen anything like it like, since the Olympics. The amount that people are communicating and being so much more positive and like thoughtful, you know, social distancing, you're walking past and then you give the other person five meters and they're like, Oh, thanks yeah. so much. And people greeting each other on a walk. I yeah, yeah. genuinely think I've seen my it whole since. my whole street's on a group WhatsApp chat as well, and there's kind of yeah, really? Facebook groups with the postcode on where everyone's kind of can I help you? Can I help you? And there's more people trying to give help than there are people in need of help. So it's really yeah. nice kind of, yeah, developing this community spirit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. That's enough wishy-washy chat. Yeah. Back to the science. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yeah, as we, as we were saying, so the, with the vaccines is kind of looking at a preventative option, but there are lots of things they're looking at, which we discussed slightly at the beginning, looking at, well, two things, treating people who have caught it already, right? And then, um, well, that's the main, the main thing, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, so once you've caught it, so say the vaccine isn't in place and you get infected, then what happens is it's a lower respiratory um, tract infection. So the virus is right down the bottom of your lungs and that causes an inflammatory response. So your, um, your immune system tries to attack the virus there and get rid of it and kill it. But it can cause, um, that can either work very well and people be uh, subclinical and they don't see any symptoms at all. But for some other people who are a little bit more susceptible, these high risk and vulnerable um, patients that you hear about, so diabetes, heart problems, um, they, they don't react in exactly the same way. So they can have an overzealous inflammatory response to that. And from there, you get lots of inflammation in the lungs and you can get fluid starting to build up from all the dead viral cells and inflammatory cells and also just a little bit of plasma leak coming out of the blood. And that's when you get pneumonia. So then the bottom of your lungs starts filling up with all this liquid 
and you can't get the efficient gas exchange that you need. So that's why people go into ventilators because it gets higher oxygen levels and you can kind of get past all of that a little bit more. And then hopefully with time, all of this resolves. So if you can give them uh, mechanical ventilation to help them through that worst stage and their body deals with it, then that's great. Not everyone can deal with it. And that's when you get the deaths. So drugs tackling all that aspect are kind of similar to other viral drugs. So as we were saying before, HIV or Ebola or things like that, you're trying to reduce the viral load. So that's the amount of virus you have within your body or in your blood typically. Um, and that, if you manage to reduce the viral load, then your inflammatory response won't be so severe. So you won't get all these effects afterwards. So there's other drugs out there which um, don't work as a vaccine would work. So they don't prepare your body uh, in advance and tell your immune system what to expect. These are just ones that are directly attacking viruses and stopping them replicate. And so there are lots of different drugs we've got for different viral diseases that they're checking to see whether they work against this SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. That makes sense? It does. does. It, make, it does. makes a lot more sense for me as well. That was excellent. Thank you very much. Is there a standard ARV, like a standard antiretroviral that is kind of universal to these things? Like I know HIV has, you know, if you get HIV, the first thing they kind of administer are ARVs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, ARV antiretroviral therapy. There, there isn't a standard, no. Um, but there are some aspects of viruses which are common amongst other viruses. So you can get some um, drugs working to a certain degree, not as well as they would in their own uh, development, their own disease they've been developed for. But yeah, there is some kind of. Um, there are similar aspects to which they target. So it's not a perfect solution at all, but it's something that's worth trying whilst we don't have anything else. The idea, right, is you're, even with those, you're, you're targeting specific proteins to that virus, right? And hence why the repurposing of SARS and MERS and because they have very similar key proteins. Exactly, yeah. But I mean, yeah, that is true. But there's also one, so there's anti-malarial drugs, and the HIV drugs, which are in this World Health Organization big clinical study. And there has been some evidence coming out in the early uh, infections in hospital cases in China showing that they do have some effect, but it's all, it's all been very circumstantial in kind of small patient numbers and not controlled trials at all. It's just been, we gave five patients this drug, they got better. So you don't know whether it was the drug or whether they were gonna get better anyway. But yeah, so there is there is scope for ones that are less closely matched, like SARS and MERS are to Cov two. But yeah, it's better if they are. Yeah, I did see that. It was like a they said it was a phase one trial coming out of China. I think it was for Remdesivir. I think I think it was that one. And they actually said it didn't show that much effect. But the World Health Organization was like, no, we need to carry on and do it in a bigger population um, with people. Yeah, exactly. With comorbidities and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So that, this is, again, why it takes so long, because you have so many different things to check here, different patients with different ages, different other diseases they might have. It's complicated. Definitely. So I think, mm -hmm. Robo, before we close things off, have you got any other um, general questions? Um, not right now. It was interesting to hear about what that, uh, what that structure looks like. So, you know, um, 
you go into hospital, how how the ventilators actually work. You know, I didn't I didn't realise those those were the specifics. You know, it's essentially there to be pneumonia. I just heard that pneumonia would be mentioned. Um, so it's kind of good to visualise what that um, what the life cycle of that situation looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's not a nice thing to go through at all, mechanical ventilation, because you need the tube kind of stuck into your trachea, the top part of your lungs, and it's quite invasive and it can be uncomfortable. But yeah, it's it does save lives. It's a kind of last ditch effort when your lungs are starting to fill up with all this fluid. So yeah, it's yeah. not very nice, but it's it works for some people in not so severe cases. Mm. Yeah, nice. I think if we if we i think we we covered most of the stuff we wanted to cover but for me what was interesting when we were looking at the details and obviously we set out to look at like treatments and and, and vaccines but what i found interesting was one what I, I think we've really highlighted was the collaboration and how that's kind of a beautiful thing but it was also interesting to kind of see how the farmer the farmer model is set up in terms of these pandemics endemics and that it, it currently it doesn't really work because of what we've talked about so when there is this oh, this virus that comes in and everyone's worried about it pharma companies are like yeah we'll put everything into it um we'll do this research but as soon as the need drops off that compound doesn't get pushed any further along that clinical mm. trial process and kind of gets lost yeah and there's so, a mismatch there there's no there's no market to sell that drug anymore but there's still a scientific need to develop it to prepare you for the next one. Exactly. And if we're thinking this is something that, I mean, this is future looking, but something that's going to recur, it's definitely something that the industry needs to look at. And some of those organizations I said, I talked about at the beginning, CEPI and um, Brada, Brada, yeah, they, they're doing somewhat kind of taking that along because they, even after they died off, they kept looking at SERS and Mars and that helped give us the head start. Um, but it's definitely interesting to see how it's set up and obviously it's always going to be uh, kind of financial profit based but we yeah, well, set ourselves up yeah. more, with a bit more common sense well, it's long term goals and short term goals I was reading that Donald Trump just before all of this cut key elements of his pandemic preparedness um, uh, departments and in the last budget it, they had yeah, I think so. Response unit like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, we cut tons and tons of it. We cut even more in the last month, and now he's asking Congress to sign off a one billion dollar emergency <laughs> fund. So it's you're yeah, killing it off with one hand and giving lots of money afterwards. But it's if you just realise what the long term strategies are, yeah, it's just such a much better way to deal with it and saves money and saves lives. Because America, they did some like wargaming and projections before he cut the, the, that team. And America were the best suited supposedly to respond to this. Um, yeah. And then he cut that team. And then obviously the decisions they've made, the questionable decisions, we'll see how it all pans out. But um, yeah, they were meant to be the best place to respond to something like this. Um, I, also, I also want to mention that obviously in, in spite of that, you know, everyone's seen the chart on like, I personally have become quite addicted to checking out worldometers mm, um, yeah. every day or so, where it like updates the chart. Someone showed it to me a couple of days ago um, and I quite enjoy seeing how it updates um, 
which seems weird. It's maybe fascinating is a better word. But um, in terms of the US being best place to deal with it, everyone knows how fast their cases have accelerated and therefore their deaths <laughs> as well. But I was uh, I was chatting to my housemate um, back when I was living in London um, at the start of all of this, and he was saying that Japan was kind of the beacon that everyone was looking at because their case and death ratio had remained pretty flat. And then I read this morning that now they've announced a state of emergency because it seems to have suddenly caught up. I'd be interested to know why it's been so delayed by them, what their response was, if they ever found out, you know, mm. what they were doing right. Interesting. Um, go ahead, mate. Go ahead. I was going to say, we, um, one of the next, is it the next one, David? We were going to, the next episode in the miniseries, yeah. we were going to look at different approaches from different countries yeah, that'd be and, and where that's left them. So hopefully we can answer that question in the next one. So that is yeah. perfect. Good work. I'll add it to my research list. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, lads, we will uh, leave it there for today. Another fascinating chat. Good to hear that there's a kind of a lot of hope and promise out there and we'll keep monitoring certainly results of those trials to see how they go um, and keep you updated. But other than that, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, we'll see you in a week or so. Sick, so sick, so sick of hell.